Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Deasy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me for the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. Or should I say for all of us, because the entire Gazette sports staff is here. Mike McAdam, sports editor Michael Kelly, Adam Schinder, and Stan Hootie. As we look back on the year 2021 in sports in the Capital Region, uh, what a crazy year it was. Still dominated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, A lot of schedules were uh, changed, and uh, we've managed to get through this. And we're going to talk a little bit about this as part of our year-end podcast here on the Parting Shots podcast. And let's begin with Adam and the high school stuff. Uh, just how crazy of a year was it? Yeah, this has been. I mean, it's hard to. It's hard not to say it's been the weirdest sports year ever. Uh, obviously, twenty twenty when things disappeared uh, was 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 crazy. But this year was. Let's pack about six high school seasons. I believe we had. Five, I believe we had five high school seasons in the span of in the span of about ten months. Uh, we started with the high risk sports getting going uh, in February, ran through six weeks of, of basketball and a very short wrestling season, ran through a six-week fall, too, of football and uh, volleyball and some teams that hadn't played uh, soccer and field hockey back in the fall of 2020, ran through six weeks of spring sports. Everyone took a two-month break, and we were back for the fall, and uh, we got you know, relatively uh, unscathed in the fact that the season was completed uh, in the fall season. We had state championships for the first time since the uh, since the winter of 2020 uh, when everything was disrupted so a bizarre and incredibly busy year but uh, things were able to sort of trudge through even as things look uh, as schedules start to get shuffled again as we end the year and of course some of those fall sports were played in spring as we know, got to know as fall sports too and I think Michael the one thing I remember the most about the one picture Erica Miller had of the Shen, Shen football game and it was snowing. It was a late March. It was just it's an incredible thing. And it was the only place in the capital region that snowed that day. Yeah. It was bright sunshine here in Schenectady that day and everywhere else. And then, yeah, a blizzard there. Pretty uh, indicative of the fall two experience. I mean, how crazy was it me to deal with this? And obviously having to reshape schedules and all that stuff. How crazy was it to get through this uh, through that uh, first half of the year? Yeah, well, I mean, as Adam alluded to, you know, uh, a real sprint through, you know, kind of like February through June. Um, And then almost a sense of normalcy for at least a little bit this fall um, where, you know, there were there were flare ups here and there, maybe like during the fall. But we pretty much played a, a fall high school sports season that was, you know, pretty similar to, you know, one from, you know, 20, uh, 2019, 2018. Um, and then you you get to this winter where, especially in the last couple of weeks, we've really started to have a return to, you know, kind of uh, basically where things were, maybe February, March, starting to see some cancellations again, um, you know, interesting, uh, but not in a good way in terms of to see kind of where this maybe goes as we get to January, um, just as we almost kind of feel to some degree like we're uh, we're back a year ago. Yeah. yeah, Stan, you're out there for covering some games there. What's it been like out there? Uh, this, the the fall, this current fall was absolutely wonderful. It was a sense of normalcy, fans, uh, typical schedules. The winter, 
we're starting to see the hiccups now. We're starting to see, let's check that game before we go out. And the day before, we're finding out cancellation, cancellation, and phone calls lead to confirmation that a school, whether it be in our coverage area or outside, has, you know, is on pause. Um, uh, and we're learning a lot, and a lot of schools are being extremely proactive within school testing, which in the case of Shenandoah, that kind of led them. Uh, the goal was to, to nip it early and identify uh, with this new variant that once they reach a certain threshold of, of uh, infections, they just pause the entire team. Um, there's a lot more knowledge. There's a lot more testing. Um, but it's it's all it's a hiccup that we're, we're living with right now in the workplace as well as you know, the kids uh, that are playing sports. A lot of, a lot of knowledge and, you know, obviously there, there's more experience with it now. I, I think the thing though that still sticks out is that uh, it still very much feels like we're changing things as we go <laughs> and, you know, trying to make the, the most sense of it as possible um, where, you know, as much as things right now feel similar to maybe how they did, you know, last year, a year ago, um, you know, maybe the response is different right now where, you know, teams get shut down for shorter periods of time. Um, so it's just, it, it, it's the same, but it's also still very different. Yeah, these schools have, these schools, these districts have gotten, you know, in some ways better at, at dealing with these things. I mean, now you're looking at a point where kids are all back in school where a year ago, most, if most, if not all were still attending school virtually uh, remotely. So, you see these things really shape differently as, as the year as the year goes on, especially as I think as uh, as school districts become really loath uh, to to shut down uh, in person learning uh, if they don't. Mike, uh, what are your thoughts on the high school situation? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how Mike Kelly did it as far as keeping the schedule together because. Um, it was the, the real hero, <laughs> the, the real hero behind all this, because um, it seemed like it was such a fluid, constantly shifting. And you just had to be on your toes every day just to keep up with who's out, who's back in, who's got to change things. And, uh, you know, I don't have any kids of my own, but I imagine a parent, you know, with a kid playing high school sports, just having that um, uncertainty, you know, had to wear on you a little a little bit so um but like i said it was like such a fluid situation it was hard to keep up with uh you know all the changes and uh you got to imagine that's gonna have some impact on the you know the kids that are actually playing the sport I, I think the one thing that's come out of this and continues now is anybody who's in our business covering sports um who's playing sports there's that extra realization of what a privilege it is to not only play but to compete because, you know, for some of those kids that was taken away to college level, the pro level and locally that, you know, to get the opportunity to play means even more now, you know, when you make that team and then you get to play means a lot more. So I think there's a little bit more appreciation and it could be the time of year. Do you guys sense some frustration among maybe the student athletes, the, the parents that, that were back almost to the same situation as were a year ago uh, as far as games being postponed and moved? Hmm. That's a good question. I think that uh, kind of building off what, what Stan was saying, um, I think with the athletes, there's uh, I, don't, I don't sense that frustration because I think they do have um, both an appreciation for when they do get to play um, and also uh, an understanding for, 
you know, just kind of what the situation is to, to some degree. Maybe they're, they're kind of used to how this last year has went. Obviously, it's really painful when, you know, a team gets, you know, they lose a couple of games or, you know, get shut down for a couple of weeks. You think back to the football season where, you know, if you don't get to play, that means that you go, you know, basically 14 days without, without a game. Um, I, I haven't sensed that frustration yet totally from kind of community members. Um, I'd imagine that we're, we're probably heading toward a January of some of that um, as we see kind of more and more teams, uh, you know, especially post-holidays, you know, needing to, to shut down. Uh, to this point, it's still been kind of isolated um, in terms of, you know, it's a team there, uh, you know, a team here, a team there. When January comes around and, you know, maybe half of the uh, Suburban Council isn't able to play on a Friday, um, I think that's when maybe you start to have kind of a return of, of that type of concern. Building, building off that, I will say, uh, if one thing, if I learn one thing, expect the kids to handle it better than the adults, which is almost the case in almost any I can high school sporting you. environment. I, I, I mean, I, I look at, you know. I really tiptoed around that. We're just, <laughs> we're just saying that? Yeah. All right. I, I, okay. I know in Union uh, announced last week that fans coming to their indoor sporting events must provide a proof of vaccination. I mean, the complaints about that were just like incredible. It's like one person said they're hoping they're getting a refund from their hockey tickets. And like, what's wrong with showing your proof of vaccination? What's wrong with wearing a mask? I, 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 part I, of that I don't is, understand it. Part of, part of the polarization of, of, of COVID that we're seeing, you know, in, in multiple environments. But uh, my, my solid healthcare source uh, expert tells me that uh, parents are getting pretty foul when you know, their, their student athlete has to be tested or a season or, or a pause is put in place that again, the parents are taking it, you know, you know, they're, they're jumping off pretty quick about being upset about it. And I think the athletes are like, okay, it's okay. So I'm, we missed this. We postponed this. I'm still playing. I'm still competing. It's okay. But again, jumping, you know, Adam's absolutely correct, but the parents, and I just think we're going to get more and more of that. We st- if we start running into the, the greater political COVID discourse, uh, I think this will run longer than we ever wanted to. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, one of the biggest events uh, always in the Capital Region is the Saratoga horse racing season. Uh, last year, they did not uh, have fans at, at the track. But this year, a different story, Mike. Uh, you were there for the, uh, for the meet. And what was it like having fans back at uh, Saratoga? I was like, I mean, the word normal gets bludgeoned to death and overused, of course, but it was back to what people expected to be after last year when every day was the same. There was nobody there, whether it was Travers Day or a bad Wednesday card with a bunch of claiming races. And, uh, you know, they did let some limited uh, owners in. So there were about 150 people there for Travers Day last year. But then this year, um, in the lead up to that, which was kind of drove us crazy a little bit, was our former governor kept moving the goalposts on capacity um, as the you know the landscape was shifting on how many people they felt comfortable letting into venues. So it seemed like every two weeks he'd come out and say something, and then you know we get to fifty percent, and then it would get to this, and then finally a um, hundred percent capacity hit the wire just in time for um, Saratoga to have full capacity. So um, I kind of made a bold, exaggerated prediction that they were going to get 40,000 on opening day and fell well short of that 28,000. But I can tell you the people that were there, um, it was 40,000 worth of enthusiasm, including one gentleman, we'll call him, who, uh, as we were, I think Stan was there too, um, 
waiting for the gates to open on opening day. And it was sort of like um, Travers Day light to some degree with people sprinting in there and trying to claim their picnic tables. As one guy said, let's go. And there was a word that begins with F in between let's and go. <laughs> and very loud, you know, for all the children to hear. Um, but that kind of reflects how um, the, the level of anticipation for fans to be there again. And then the weird thing that we saw was, okay, we fell short, well short of 40,000 on opening day. We had a gigantic crowd on Travers Day like they always do. I noticed that the average was up, and it seemed like the non-weekend days, you know, like a Wednesday would actually get, like, decent 20,000 crowds and stuff like that. I think they may not have spiked on the big days as much as they usually are, you know, probably t like they typically would, but it was like the other days that seemed to kind of be uh, a little more crowded than they usually are, which, um, and then subsequently they went over a million total attendance for the meet for the sixth year in a row, if you don't count last year, of course. Um, so people were salivating for Saratoga and, and they showed up and, and it, was, it was just like old times again, it's like last year never happened. Yeah, I mean, did you get a sense of the fans they appreciate it and you know, having missed it in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I mean, opening day was a clear illustration of that. And then throughout the meet, like I said, I mean, I and I have no explanation for why some of the typically lower attended days seemed like they were getting better numbers. I have no explanation for that. But after last year, um, I think that. That, that's sort of foundationally what you know why you saw good numbers on a consistent basis and kind of you know more of a level line of attendance on a daily basis as opposed to like i said the um you know like a spike when you would expect it on whitney day and travers adam you were there for, for a couple of days of the meet uh, what were your thoughts about yeah very very similar i was there you know one day uh in 2020 it was it was kentucky derby day uh, and i was uh -huh. i was co i was covering the the feature racing so that so that mike could i was covering the kentucky, could cover derby, the kentucky, from the kentucky <laughs> derby from the saratoga from the saratoga sort of makeshift press box uh out in the uh, out in the clubhouse Turf, Turf Tavern, yeah. uh, restaurant and it was a ghost town and being there uh, a handful of days this year just just night and day and just seeing you know, the, the happiness, I remember talking to, to a, a couple of Naira employees on, on the opening day of the meet and they were just like, they're like last year was incredibly depressing just to be out there. And, and this year they were just happy to be able to do their job. Well, let's take a break here. We'll talk more about what happened in 2021, including some uh, coaching changes at the college basketball level here in the capital region. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. There are no words to describe it. The isolation. The boredom. The loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care, the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. 
High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Now, here's Ken. Welcome back to the podcast as we look back at the year 2021 with, with uh, my colleagues, Michael Kelly, Mike McAdam, Adam Schindler, and Stan Hootie. Uh, big changes in college basketball here in the Capital Region. Uh, Will Brown era ends at UAlbany. Ali Jack uh, leaves uh, Siena women's basketball. And Michael Kelly, uh, I guess really not, no surprises there, but uh, still kind of stunning. Yeah, I would um, I would say that Will Brown is I, I think that might characterize as, as a big surprise just because people have become uh, so used to Will Brown being the head coach of UAlbany basketball. <laughs> um, but I guess I guess in a way his contract was up and they decided not to renew it. I think I was part of the right. Yeah, I think that that still was um, was was a pretty big surprise to 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 most Capital Region basketball fans. I think even people who who follow that program closely who. Kind of just figured that at the end of the year, there would be, uh, you know, eventually there'd be a contract extension because that had been how it had been kind of throughout his, you know, first 20 years <laughs> running the program. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's a, I mean, a huge, a huge shift in uh, an area in area college basketball. Will Brown's obviously now the, the coach of the Albany Patroons, so he's still in the scene. Um, Allie Jacks, you know, a, a little bit, obviously less of a, a surprise just with her, her contract was up as well without maybe that same, uh, level of success throughout her coaching tenure. Um, uh, but still, you know, half of the division one, uh, college basketball programs in the area with, with new leadership, uh, as we head into the new year. Well, with Bill Brown, we, with the COVID situation, they had issues last year, pause a couple of times. Do you think you sort of got a raw deal from the athletic department. A raw deal. Hmm. They should have should discounted what happened this last year. Maybe give them one more year. One more year. Well, no. I mean, I think that it. Uh, I think that if if you're of that opinion, I I don't think that that's incorrect. Um. Or or you know or uh you know an opinion without thought behind it. You know, at the same time, the program had had, I think, three consecutive losing seasons. Um. There were. I was interested to see what would happen this past off season if like just every coach got to keep their job <laughs> for an extra year. And what it ended, what it ended up being was a, a very normal college basketball off season. Um, he was one of the first coaches let go um, and then kind of led into a cycle where it was very normal um, just because of when their season ended. Um, but I, I, I think a raw deal would probably be, probably be too strong. I think that um, there's obviously supporters of, of the program of Will, who would like him still to be the head coach of UAlbany. I think there's also, uh, you know, probably uh, equal, if not more people who, you know, are excited about kind of a, a new era starting, um, a new energy to the program uh, with Dwayne Killings uh, being the team's head coach. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, as uh, college basketball coaches really like to say as a phrase, and now it's invaded my vocabulary, um, you know, Will Brown was the coach of a college basketball program, the same one for 20 years. And that's just something that, you know, really doesn't happen um, anymore. You know, it's uh, it's an extremely long tenure uh, with a lot of success uh, that was built in through it. You mentioned uh, 
a normal offseason uh, coaching-wise. What's not normal, I guess is normal now, but has really changed over the past few years, is the player movement. And I think you can probably speak to how much the faces of, of these teams, especially the UAlbany and Siena teams, were completely overhauled <laughs> between, between March and now. Yeah, scholarships are a one-year contract, and uh... – Everybody knows it now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, both those program, both those men's programs, especially, um, you know, with pretty much completely different uh, rosters uh, ending this calendar year than from where they started the calendar year. Um, sometimes I have to remind myself who is on which team. Um, you know, and obviously the big one, um, Jalen Pickett from Siena, um, who's you know, maybe Mac could speak a little bit to this, but I mean, Jalen Pickett is probably, uh, I would say he's a top five Sienna player based on individual accomplishments. He's definitely top 10. Um, and he's not going to finish his career at Sienna, which is, uh, you know, very different um, from, you know, what we maybe were used to, you know, as recently as, you know, five, 10 years ago. Right. And a, a bunch of the players, uh, Sienna players from when I was covering them, when Fran McCaffrey was there, like Kenny Hasbrook and, Edwin Ubles and Alex Franklin, those kind of guys, they got there and you just never expected them to leave. And they didn't. And, the, you know, it was a Mac powerhouse for a few years there. Now the uncertainty, you don't know who's, you, you have to expect people to leave, especially if they get good like Jalen did. And um, so from a program standpoint, I think that puts like actually extra credit uh, pressure on the recruiting process because you have to have guys waiting in the wings that you have invested time in who aren't on in your program right now, but they might be, and you're going to need to like, you know, um, re-recruit and, and refill spots like that. It, it, it's amazing how in such a short period of time that dynamic has changed. And going again, going back to those Hasbro teams, guys were there and they were there and not going anywhere. Now, anybody of that caliber, you, you have to expect you're going to maybe get one decent season out of them and if you're lucky. And in fact, you don't have to sit out now if you transfer. That, that's, that's been the biggest, I think, the biggest change in college sports. Yeah, the free transfer has, has made things you – know, it, it's it, it has become the Wild West. I could speak to it a little from the football end as well, where you look at UAlbany and the team they had in 2019 and even the team that took the field you know, this past spring and fall – is going to look so completely different uh, from what we see in 2022. They've already had half dozen guys decide to transfer out. You know, and you know they're like Jalen Pickett, uh, Jared Verse, who I think was undisputedly the best player you all when he put on the field uh, the last season and a half that they had. Fairly recruited coming out of high school, he put two he put 15 good games on tape and has been offered by just about every power program uh, in the FBS this year. He could end up at Florida State or Oklahoma or Clemson or or Miami or Tennessee, you know, a, a big-time program next fall. Mike, how do you think Dwayne has been doing so far with you all? Yeah, obviously, you know, I, I think uh, it's not a full restart um, just because that program was at a certain level. Um, but, you know, need to rebuild um, for both the reasons of the fact that the program had been losing in its very recent history, um, as well as everything we just talked about where, you know, you're going to have nine, 10 new players every year. Um, you know, I think he's brought a new energy and a new type of enthusiasm um, to that program. 
Um, he has not coached a conference game yet, so I don't want to fully weigh in on how he's doing. Um, but I think that um, I think that that school and that athletic department and that program was looking for, you know, some some key changes in terms of just kind of the uh, the energy and maybe community engagement um, on kind of like a day to day basis um, that I, I think he's really embraced and, and done a good job with. Meanwhile, the Siena women's program, not like there was Jim Jabira making his second go around at Siena. Oh, and nine, as we speak here on the podcast, uh, it seems like a program that really doesn't know what direction they want to go. Yeah, I mean, hey, maybe they were going to beat Syracuse before that game got called <laughs> off, though. So that's that 0 and 9 is unfair to that. I mean, I think that one is more the full, you know, the full rebuild um, from from where it was. Um, they're 0 and 9. Um, I think if you had looked at their schedule before the year, you maybe would have hoped that they'd be one and eight. So, I I mean, I don't think that they're too far removed from where it, you know, realistically was going to be. Um, I mean, I think with, with, um, with that program, it's, it's really next year where, you know, he has to get some of, or get more of his own players in there before he can really kind of judge what he's, uh, what he's got going on there. Um, but no, right now it's it's really challenging. Nobody wants to be uh, winless. Um, but you know, maybe with Mac play starting up, maybe they can you know start to turn things around here in 2022. Let's take talk about some of the uh, local athletes who made names for themselves in uh, 2021. I begin with uh, Shannon Noah's Ian Anderson winning a World Series with the Atlanta Braves. Um, it was a great accomplishment. Uh, Stan putting up his arms here. Stan, you be talk about that. Um, Atlanta Braves fan. Atlanta yeah. Braves fan. Wait, what? Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies killer. I didn't know that. <laughs> for, those, for those who aren't familiar with the Hootie lore, is uh, I am a Superstation baby. So I've been a Braves fan since uh, the Superstation was born. TBS went on the air. Uh, baby blue uniforms. Uh, Bob Horner on third base. Bob Watson on first. Dale Murphy batting around. So it's, it's been a long, long time. I got one. Uh, World Series, but I the second one is will mean you know I'll take with me you know till the end, which hopefully is in a long time. But to see you know Ian Anderson on the mound, even last year, you know the success he had last year, you know hopes and it wasn't a you know in theory a sophomore slump because he was still a rookie this year, just phenomenal. And to talk to his dad and and to see Ian afterwards and the way that team you know was on the brink of here we go again. And they, they bounce back and have Ian be such a big part of it and the way he carried himself and just every comment on every broadcast from all these different broadcast teams talked about the quality of pitcher he is, his mechanics and things like that. Um, that, you know, it was great to, in a sense, you know, have a little piece of that. And um, um, part of, you know, Matt, Ken, myself, you guys will get there eventually. The joy of being around so long is every once in a while you get these gem moments. And this is one of them that, you know, uh, I interviewed Ian Anderson and Kevin Herter when they were eight years old in Clifton Park Baseball at a Mid-Atlantic Regional. And both are having huge success at the, at the highest level. So it's, you know, I had nothing to do with it, but report a lot of scores during uh, uh, their, their young years and then, and, then, and then in high school. But you know, it's great. It's great to really be able to reach back and, and know that and, and and a quality family and kid. It was it was absolutely awesome. Can we say not, not not just one World Series, one you know, 
was maybe the best pitcher starting pitcher in the World Series was taken out while throwing a no-hitter. And Stan, I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan for over 50 years. When when does the fun part start? <laughs> so what, so was that one game you, a but... couple of years ago? <laughs> I mean, congratulations. Well, speaking of Shen and, uh, and the, another Philadelphia killer, uh, Kevin Herter, uh, killing the Sixers in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semifinals when Ben Simmons uh, basically uh, – Ben who? Ben, yeah, Ben who? Ben, baby, Ben Simmons. Um, what about Kevin Herter? I mean, he's he's just signed a new he signed a new contract yeah. before the start of the season. Uh, he's really uh, coming to his own in uh, the NBA. Kevin got himself sixty five million dollars, sixty four, sixty five million dollars, you know, before he turned twenty five. So uh, I think it's fair to say he went into the right line of work. <laughs> well, my NBA scouting career began and ended with. Uh, the- game at Mahanison that Kevin played in and I was like wow look at this skinny little kid and then the next thing you know they're talking about he's going to the NBA and I was like I did not see that coming <laughs> Jimmy Schultz and I I, like, I see Jimmy all the time and I, when we talk about Kevin I look at Jimmy I'm like did you see it I didn't see it but that's me if anybody could have seen it, it was you and just the growth you know physically you know that he had and his game he just the thing that we always, I think Jimmy and I always reached back about was that Kevin did not score 50 points a game, which we all feel he could have at any point in time, but that wasn't part of what he was on the court for. And I think that just carried through his time in Maryland and, and makes him the player he is. And I think, um, I, I, I think other coaches have said he's very coachable and he's a competitor. Yeah. Straight up. We'll mention Jimmy in a minute, but uh, one other athlete, Mike, that you covered a lot was Evan White in cycling and the Olympics. Yeah, Dwaynesburg High School graduate, Union College graduate, 23, 23 years old, and she was um, she was a part of the Team USA women's track cycling in the team pursuit, which is you've got four cyclists on this um, velodrome, very short track, going around in circles um, as fast as you can for about less than four minutes, um, and they went. Team USA went into the Olympics as the favorite in that event based on their champion, their world championship in Berlin in 2020, which really was the last competition that Emma and her teammates, you know, participated in before the pandemic hit. And then there was this long year and a half saga in Colorado Springs of trying to maintain fitness and, and cohesion as a team without the benefit of any competition whatsoever. Meanwhile, you have no idea what the other countries are doing and how well they're developing their team. So you show up in Tokyo with a lot of question marks and yeah, maybe on paper, the favorite. Um, she told me when she got back to, to her parents' house in Dwaynesburg that if you had told her before the Olympics they were going to win the bronze medal, she, she wouldn't have been real thrilled with that. But having gotten over there and experienced it and won the bronze and, and they their team posted three times that were world record caliber, fortunately, German was even faster than that and faster than everybody. So it was Germany and then Great Britain and Team USA with the bronze medal. And she was absolutely thrilled with that. Um, so really cool. We had, as far as I know, we haven't had like a local person win a medal at the Olympics since Jeff Blatnick uh, won the gold medal in Greco-Roman wrestling. Um, so a great moment for her. Um, the, the discipline that she was in was she wasn't even really familiar with until like three years ago she was a road racer almost exclusively and also well also cyclocross which is a whole different animal and they saw something in her that 
led them to believe that she'd be a great um, member of this discipline, and it sure turned out to be the case. And she she was a very key person, and you, you know what they accomplished over in Tokyo. Stan, you mentioned Jim Schultz, and uh, earlier this year, Jim announced his retirement. Uh, fortunately, he's still doing some work for us, uh, part time covering games for us. But what was the impact, Michael, of Jim uh, in this community? He was a uh, Daily Gazette and Capital Region High School sports icon. Wasn't is. He's still, I mean, I think he's working more now than he was <laughs> before. I keep looking around the office to see if he's here today. But uh, no, I mean, Jim was, um, you know, I think, uh, I think every area coach, athletic director, you know, if you're a parent of a high school athlete, if you were a high school athlete, you know, you knew who uh, Jim Schultz was, um, you know, and, and that's, you know, uh, both a testament to how well he did his job, but also the fact that he had, you know, kind of the same position, the same role for, for decades, um, you know, which is so rare, um, growing rarer. Uh, but no, he's, uh, he's a capital region sports icon. I second that totally. And um, um, besides the, you know, being the face of the Gazette for high school sports coverage for decades, um, you know, just in the office, invaluable research, you go to Jim and ask him something from 25 years ago, and he'd be able, he couldn't pull it off the top of his head, he'd go back to one of his 80 file cabinets back there and pull out like this overstuffed, you know, manila folder and be able to Give me a second and uh, dig it up for you, you know. So um, as much as he was, like I said, a, a very public presence in, in the face of the Gazette when it came to high school uh, coverage that everybody recognized, recognized out in the field in here, um, you know, an incredible resource for us to lean on when I, whenever we had questions about, you know, for background purposes. Lord, Lord knows if J if Jimmy ever fully went away and we needed to find something in those file cabinets, we'd be lost for months. <laughs> well, let's look ahead to 2022. I want to get you guys, uh, get you guys of uh, this one prediction or you, you'd like to see happen in 2022. Sorry with Michael. A prediction. Why don't we go with somebody else first for this one? <laughs> don't look at me. Prediction. Whew. I wasn't ready with the prediction. Um, I will predict that everybody else's prediction is better than mine. Um, prediction. All right, seriously, you got to come back to me. That okay. was There was no warning on that for I'll, the, I'll just, for the I'll, listeners. Man, I'll, I'll give you some red meat here. This, yeah. one's, this <laughs> one's for the bride, the Red Sox, win the World Series next year. Uh, I'll say, look, I'm going to say that one – of the two capital region men's basketball teams will be in the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh Pirates will not win the World Series. Oh, so give me something better than that. All right. Um, <laughs> I was going to try to come up with something re related to Medina Spirit, who won the um, Kentucky Derby, which is still pending because of a drug positive. Um, which we don't have with Medina Spirit. <laughs> by, uh, who, right. Who sadly died as well during a workout. But um, I, I predict that that will get resolved in 2022. And I was horribly wrong with my attendance uh, prediction at Saratoga. So don't be surprised if I'm wrong on this one too. Thank you, Michael. I'll, uh, <laughs> I think the most thing, the most fun thing I can predict is just that, is that the Albany Cup gets played. But instead, <laughs> I'm going to predict that no Philadelphia sports team wins a world championship in the calendar year 2022 
That's what I'll be rooting for. So, so the prediction is the, is the classic clever lying prediction, pain, yeah. Yeah. agony for Ken. And I think uh, my prediction is that you know, coming up January twenty second, the NCAA uh, convention is going to vote on the uh, the ability of the uh, Division three hockey schools like Union uh, that don't offer scholarships, athletic scholarships right now, to be able to do it. I think it's going to happen. It's going to change the face of uh, how that program is going to both the men's and the women's programs, how they're going to be able to get players in. And I think they'll be able to compete. So that'll be a big day. And I think that they'll get approved uh, on January 22nd. Uh, final uh, predictions here for the college football playoff semifinals on Friday. Of course, you know, who knows the game by the time this airs, maybe the games will get canceled or something because of the COVID, but uh, who's playing anyway? <laughs> um, it's uh, Cincinnati, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling good about it. I'll go with Alabama and Michigan. Solid. Notre Dame fan, I got Georgia and uh, Alabama. Is uh, is Alabama traditionally good? <laughs> they might be. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll we'll see how they Alabama, do. Alabama, Michigan. Uh, hopefully, you know, the Browns get these games in, and uh, I'll have some fun uh, watching the games on Friday. So, gentlemen, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, uh, we'll talk again during uh, 2022. Thank you, guys. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick a Football Contest in just a moment. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick 'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick 'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick a Football contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Chad Arnold. You're listening to the Pardon Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Before we uh, wrap things up here for this edition of the podcast, we taped the... Uh, the end of the year uh, podcast uh, review on uh, Monday and on Tuesday night uh, we learned of the uh, passing of John Madden the Hall of Fame uh, coach and the broadcaster at the age of 85 uh, the death was shocking because it was just on Christmas Day that Fox Sports debuted uh, the old Madden documentary if you haven't had a chance to watch it it's a great documentary um, I believe FS1 will be airing it Wednesday night and it'll be on the streaming services of ESPN Plus, uh, Tubi, and um, Peacock. So if you get a chance, please watch that. Uh, I mean, I watched it on Christmas Day, and I thought it was wonderfully done. Uh, you know, John Madden, just what can you say? Uh, the, uh, he was a character on the field and in the broadcast booth. Me, the, uh, the Oakland Raiders, you could see uh, if you have watched any old NFL films. Uh, reels, you'll see him, you know, screaming, pointing fingers, but he was a character and he was a great character. And then, uh, he won a Super Bowl title in 1977, uh, when the Raider, Oakland Raiders beat, uh, the uh, Minnesota Vikings in that, uh, Super Bowl 11. 
And he retired from coaching in 1978, had 100 victories, and he joined CBS as an analyst, working with a variety of announcers before being teamed with Pat Summerall during the 1981 season. And that duo became one of the all-time great announcing teams. Uh, Madden revolutionized the way NFL games are broadcasted. Yeah, from diagramming plays on a telestrator to his uh, excited reactions to plays. Yeah, every time he was an excited play, he goes, boom, boom, whack. You know, like that, something like that. So it, it made for uh, watching games uh, broadcasted by Summerall and Madden on uh, uh, CBS and later Fox uh, must-see uh, TV. Yeah, of course, uh, I mentioned Fox. Madden and Summerall went over to Fox after uh, Fox uh, fledging network back then. Uh, they were only about eight years or seven or eight years old when they uh, wrestled away the NSC portion of the NFL contract from CBS. And they gave uh, Fox Sports uh, legitimacy. And Fox, uh, right then, I always remember John Madden on conference calls saying, you know, Fox Sport, because there was only one sport until they got the NHL and it became Fox Sports. But uh, they, they gave that network legitimacy. And um, they, they were together until 2002. Uh, they called the Super Bowl game between the Rams, uh, the St. Louis Rams at the time, and the uh, New England Patriots. And that was the game that the Patriots won on the Adam and Vinatieri field goal and really beginning the legend of quarterback Tom Brady. Um, Madden moved over to ABC's Monday Night Football and joined Al Michaels there in 2002. And then four years later, he moved over to NBC uh, with Michaels when they acquired the Sunday Night Football package. Uh, Madden retired in 2009, and he won an astounding 16 sports Emmys. Just amazing. And, of course, you know, today's generation knows Madden from those uh, Madden football video games that they really still continue to be popular. Uh, I mean, this generation, like I said, probably knows him more for that than what he did on the football field and in the uh, broadcast booth. Of course, I'm old enough to remember when uh, he was a really great commercial pitchman, especially for those middle-of-the-light commercials. You see him you know, breaking through the walls and basically you know, hand gestures and telling you how good middle-of-the-light was. So uh, I'm hoping Sunday there will be lots of tributes uh, when the games are played, and I'm hoping that – uh, the announcers, even the, the analysts especially, you know, throw in a boom or two um, during the uh, broadcast. It's going to be a, a tough it's, uh, you know, saying goodbye to John Madden, but what a wonderful life he had. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Coach. Speaking of football, the Week 16 winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick em Football Contest is Randy Stanton of Schenectady. Randy wins a $100 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Randy. The Week 15, uh, 16, excuse me, VIP winner is Nick Platel of Grand Premier Tires. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the You Pick'em Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play, go to dailygazette.com and click the You Pick'em logo. The NFL season is winding down, and you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and the TV listings. I was 12-4 and four in Week 16, and on the season, I'm 149-92-1. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing. In this difficult time, if you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank my Gazette colleagues, Michael Kelly, Mike McAdam, Adam Schinder, and Stan Hootie for coming on the show. 
I'll have another podcast Thursday focusing on college hockey. I'll preview Union's home games New Year's Eve and New Year's Day against defending national champion UMass. And I'll have a conversation with UMass head coach Greg Carvel. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, happy new year.